Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Hey everybody, before we start this episode, I just wanted to take a quick second to let you know that we are continuing to do our blood drive with Geekscape. At the end of September, we will be drawing our winners. Here's what we need from you. Go and donate some blood. People need it desperately. Tag HMN Podcast, tag Geekscape Forever on Instagram, and use hashtag Geekscape Gives. When you do that, you will be entered into a drawing, and the lucky winner of that drawing will not just get a free Blu-ray copy of A Quiet Place 2, we'll also send you a shirt. We'll follow up to get your shirt size and which design you would like us to use. So, pick up a copy of A Quiet Place Part 2. The film is hailed by critics and audiences around the world. It's the biggest thriller of the summer. A Quiet Place 2 is available on a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and digital. Following the deadly events at home, the Abbott family must now face the terrors of the outside world as they continue to fight for survival in silence. Brian talked about this on the show already. He absolutely loved it. You can experience the whole Abbott family saga with the two-movie collection available exclusively on Blu-ray and digital. While it's cool that you're going to get a Blu-ray, the biggest thing that we can ask is please go out and donate. The world needs it so badly right now. And a big shout out, a big thank you to Paramount Pictures for giving us these copies for us to give away to help with the blood drive. We appreciate it more than you can ever know. Let's try to end September on a great note and we'll get some of those Blu-rays out there. And now the show.
everybody, and welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week, because the 40-year anniversary is just around the corner, it felt like the only appropriate time for me to pick this movie. So I picked American Werewolf in London. And I just want to take one quick second to address something, because I have no clue... How Scott is going to respond to this movie. I never know with Scott sometimes. And I know I've hurt him a lot in the last couple <laughs> episodes. So I just, I want to get this out there before anybody trashes this movie. I think that this movie is a fantastic example of doing a lot with a little throughout the film. And it's something that I didn't realize all the other times that I watched it. And we'll get into it. But there are like two or three scenes that are so simplistically shot, but yet so effective in building terror that it is absolutely incredible, and it set the terrible pretense of future werewolf movies doing the slow burn of building characters, but everyone else forgot that you can be entertaining during that build-up. <laughs> um, whereas this movie actually keeps you invested in the characters as you learn more about them, but still manages to be funny and pepper in enough scares to like keep the momentum going instead of just waiting an hour to see the werewolf. So that's my little disclaimer. <laughs> I am I am curious to see, because I've always appreciated this movie, but there was one shot specifically I never really appreciated where I was like, wow, what a great fucking shot. wonder if we have the same one. So I guess maybe, uh, maybe. stay Scott, tuned to find out. Yeah, so Scott, We're like which... American Idol right now. Yeah. Matt, what's your favorite spot? Find out after these messages. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> And then guess what? At the end of the episode, we're going to tell you next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, what are your thoughts on American Werewolf in London? I don't know how you feel about this movie, honestly. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Okay. I understand that it's important, but I find it to be problematic. Okay. I also think that the, the pacing is garbage, but that's also my personal perspective. I can't, That's not like an objective thing. I think so much about this movie that works has been aped by other movies. Um, this is only my second time watching it. I mean, I watched it once in high school. And it, I mean, I watched this and The Howling probably within a week of each other. I've only watched each of those twice now. I mean, and I love werewolf movies, but I'm just so picky about them. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I, I feel like I don't mind this movie, but this movie, watching this movie to try and bring the ha-has, impossible. Watching this movie to try and bring something interesting to the table when every other horror podcast out there has done so difficult you know and yeah. so it's like i'm not upset with you about this pick like i've been upset with you about killer tomatoes and basically everything you've picked for the last six months but you know i would say that it's an important film but fuck yeah. john landis <laughs> no no i mean listen that is clear as day and i would also say that too up front but what i will say about this movie so the scene that jumped out at me is we have this opening scene. First of all, I love the motif that throughout the entire movie, every single song has the word moon in it. So yeah. he's just pulling from like these different covers of Blue Moon or Moon Shadow. Oh, well, he wanted Moon Shadow Cat. Steven said no, but uh, Moon Dance and, and other stuff. But we meet our two characters, and I think that they do a pretty decent job of like letting us know who these characters are, get a rough idea of their history, whatever. They go to this bar. It's, you know, the cliche, like, ugly Americans in a foreign country type thing. Except in this one, it feels a lot less like they're being... They're not nearly being as shitty as, like, a 2010 teenagers in, like, Cancun type movie. You know what I yeah. mean? Like It's no spring breakers. Yeah, mm -hmm. but they get kicked out of the slaughtered lamb bar, and they go for a walk. They're walking through the moors, 
And the movie, I wrote down that the first attack scene is one of the most amazing examples of doing a lot with very little because you're just following them and the camera never leaves them, but you're hearing the sounds of rustling in, in the woods. And there's that moment where they are looking directly into the camera, almost like they're talking to the audience for help. And then it turns into this jump scare where David falls down. It's nothing. Ha ha ha. Jack bends over to pick him up and then the wolf hits him. And it's like the way that that built where it's like you're building all of the tension with literally just two actors walking around in a set. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there knowing something bad's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but something bad is going to happen very soon. And I read that one of the biggest marketing mistakes that they made with this movie was that really the only big success that John Landis had to his name was Animal House. So it was advertised as from the director of Animal House. So people went into this movie thinking it was like, oh, American Werewolf in London is probably going to be like a, a left riot comedy. And then they get greeted with like a very violent murdering of the main character, one of the main characters. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? So John Landis just directed this, right? I think he, he wrote, wrote it, too. it too. He wrote yeah. it while he was working on a movie or a TV show. I actually read the the X-ray, but he wrote it. Oh, it because, was a TV show. Yeah, he was in. He was, he was, he was in a country. It. Yeah, Yugoslavia. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, much I mean, like how Dan Aykroyd pulled his pulled his inspiration <laughs> for nothing but trouble from a real life experience. Yeah, you guys need to go to therapy. He won't go. <laughs> <laughs> any excuse any excuse to talk was that about the part that? you were talking about brian no no so uh obviously that part i was like just the this first time just looking at it from a different different lens i guess i just really liked it. it's the subway scene and it's yes. when he trips and falls on the escalator and then it cuts to like the shot from the top of the escalator and you just see the wolf like slowly walking towards him for like two seconds well, and, and I then think, it just cuts to the wolf's point of view. And I was like, man, that was a really dope fucking shot. Well, and I think that that shot works because it also like, you know, you talk about like people who know their way around a camera, right? And they know how to tell like a, a how to tell an emotion through a shot. And like that shot is like total isolation. There's, you can just see how empty and bare everything is. And I think it being like, it's almost all white everywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's so, it's just blank it's emptiness yeah. except for you in this monster that's coming to you listen there's there's no denying that john landis knows how to use a camera the issue is he doesn't care what happens to the people on the other side of it that is <laughs> the know? real <laughs> issue with john landis yeah he's his own fucking pr guy and he so he's just like i can laugh about murdering people it's fine yeah no it's very that's the thing that's so frustrating about him is that it feels like there's no remorse for what happened exactly at all. but like the he's he's too cavalier about it like okay it was a long time ago at this point and i want to believe that people can pay their dues and then get on with their lives but he just seems he's always always seemed way too cavalier about the whole situation and if you don't know yeah. what we're talking about it's the twilight zone movie where Two children and an older man die. Is that what it was? It was two children and um, I forget his name, but he was in The Last Shark. And that was the whole thing was like, it wasn't even just, hey, something happened where a bunch of people died, but it was like so many different violations of filmmaking. Like it was like, you're doing a major stunt without having anyone test it. You're having the real actors in a super dangerous spot. You're shooting after midnight with two minors that like should have never happened in the first place. Like it was just like, escalating 
situations where it's just like, dude, this was hyper irresponsible. I, I mean, I kind of feel bad for Steven Spielberg because he got wrapped into the whole thing because his name was attached as a producer. So it's like Steven Spielberg's out there getting sued because John Landis is a fuck up. You know what I mean, it's like that sucks, too. I do feel bad for Steven Spielberg. But I will say, especially for someone like me growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, it's fucked up. It's fucked up to put the producer's name on it, you know, because yeah. you're implying like when I'm like, oh, look at Quentin Tarantino's new movie, The Man with the Iron Fist. And then you go see it. and It's like, this doesn't seem like a Quentin Tarantino movie. And it's like, well, he actually has nothing to do with it. It's just his presents. I'm curious if either of you caught that there's not one, but two Muppet references in this movie. I caught the one on TV. What's the other one? Uh, yeah, I caught the the voice. One the voice of Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy cameos in the movie as well as the uh, U.S. representative that tries to check David out of the hospital and they throw a hissy fit. That's that's a just a really that's random Frank, Frank Oz. Oz cameo. Yeah. That's fucking Frank Oz. Wasn't he in Little Shop too? Well, he directed. He became a director. I don't think he was in. I think he, he that was his first time it? behind the camera. Who was the... What's that weird and peculiar fucking... That's, yes. that's that? one of the dudes from Spinal Tap. It's Chris Guest. Yeah. So, uh, I'm yeah, I might, I might be alone on this statement, and I kind of knew that going into this, but there's certain things about this movie that I do love. Like, kind of what you said with, like, the humor that they put, this isn't what I'm getting at, but, like, yeah. nothing in this movie's funny, but adding that little bit of humor at least keeps it entertaining. And then mm-hmm. the insanity randomly. So like the Nazi fucking zombie family Werewolf massacre. Thing. Yeah. yeah, I hate Which, that shit. Oh, I always no. hate it, it was just absolute. It makes insanity. no sense. It's a bad dream. I understand it's a bad dream, but why? Why put in those effects, like those important effects, if you aren't, if they're not contributing to the story? So I think it kind of is though, because like. I, this was the first time that I pieced together because I remembered the dream sequences. I've always remembered the dream sequences, and I was like, okay, they're. But I, I don't think there, there was something missing in my brain at one point where when you get the first dream sequence, he's still like in a catatonic state, and they flash a light in his eye, and then it cuts to like him running in the woods, and I think it's like you know you're having all these dreams of showing how like the wolf imagery is like taking over right so it starts off with him attacking the deer which like that i remember as a kid i wanted to watch this movie for reasons and that scene i was like nope and i shut it off (laughs) like i was i didn't need to see more of that and then the one that really scarred me was the real quick shot where the nurse is taking care of him in the hospital bed in the middle of the woods and then it just cuts to his face for a quick second, and it's like this blue demon face with like the big dog eyes. Yeah, and he said that that was the most painful scene to shoot because those it was like it was just those torture contacts because were like contacts. glass or something like well, that. Well, yeah. contacts were glass until the late eighties, early nineties, I want to say. So you had glass in your fucking eyes before then. That's but then yeah, we get to that one, and I I think the big piece is like remembering that his character is supposed to be Jewish. So it's like this, I think it works as like, yeah, it's just this fucking combination of all of the things that probably terrify him right now of like, he saw his friend ripped up by a wolf. He comes from a Jewish household where like the Nazi stuff was only 40 years ago at that point. So it's like his grandparents probably had stories of it. You know what I mean? Like, so you have all that. And then the idea of like, it's happening 
at the worst time. You know, like it's they're sitting there just having a nice family evening watching the Muppets and all of a sudden like the most awful thing possible happens. Like I, I like just how crazy and dark a lot of that stuff is throughout. But then the stuff that does make me chuckle is like I love the the first appearance of Jack specifically he has a line that i think about all the time where he's like explaining the rules of everything and he's like look until the blood's the bloodline of this wolf is severed anybody who's ever been killed by this werewolf bloodline is trapped as a zombie he's like have you ever talked to a corpse it's boring i'm lonely (laughs) yeah it's like i love that progression of his effects because he just keeps decomposing well i mean the thing is, is that i love the effects when he comes and just has that little soliloquy about how bad it sucks to be the living dead and just like following him around. But then when he when Jack is in the porn theater in Piccadilly Circus, it's like a Crypt Keeper type thing going on and it really does it for me. So there are good things yeah. about this movie. That's I'm not I'm so not saying that. I do wanna contradict something that Brian said earlier though, when he was like, Nothing's like laugh out funny, but it's it's there. There's one scene that I still think is absolutely hysterical. It has absolutely no business being in this movie. It doesn't make any sense. But it's the actual, any time that they show scenes from the porno that they're watching, and it's just the most awkwardly <laughs> bad porno. That was a funny scene. Dude, when the so guy they, walks was in. was that a real porno? I wanted to ask no. you. Or was it, it was no, made no, for No, that movie. was something that John Landis shot. Um, Phenomenal. But yeah, just, oh, it's just, the last time you were going to do this. And he's like, I've never seen it before in my life. And he's like, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> like that joke itself was funny, and then when it turned out that it wasn't even talking to the right woman, you know, <laughs> like that scene, and then like there's another part where she just takes like the most boring phone call in the middle of the movie. Like anytime it shows the porno, I literally think that those bits are laugh out funny. As we've grown as a society about suicide awareness, the scene in the movie theater is not as comical as it used to be to me in in college yeah. where they're all just suggesting good ways to kill yourself. There is something about how pleasant the one British woman is throughout that entire scene. Like <laughs> everyone else is really angry about getting murdered. And then he introduces them and she's just like, hello. <laughs> like, she reminded me of Aunt Hilda in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did enjoy the ending. Yeah. The ending is absolute insanity. But it's too much for me. All the people <laughs> dying in the car crash is just too much. Well, we don't know that they're dead. Somebody got run over with two wheels on their head. Okay, that person's probably not okay. I I think, for me, the moment when I decided, and this was, again, in college. like I had seen this movie a couple times in high school, but I remember this was one of the earlier DVDs that I bought when I first started transitioning from VHS tapes to DVDs. And it was that moment where I realized that this movie ends on this really dark note where our hero in the movie is gunned down, he's dead. It just cuts to a shot of his naked body lying in on the pavement, and then immediately, bob, 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 like right bah, into bah, that bah, version bah, of Blue bah, Moon. Bah, <laughs> like it's such a great tone That's shift. The, that is the best part of the movie. <laughs> like, I gotta say, it's so good. I, and I don't mean that in a shitty way. Like, oh, the best part of the movie was the end. Because it was fucking over. I mean, the best part of the movie is the fact that that's where the comedy came in. Yeah. It was like, well, <laughs> you, you do your little jig off stage, you know, to, to, to Blue Moon. Plus, I, it's it's 50s music. Of course, I love it. Other funny thing, which is so weird to me. Well, there's two things. Both of them involve the actor who plays David's nudity. First off, the script was written that we would see his penis in the script. 
But the reason why he has show to cover, me hanging dong, hanging yeah. dong, please. But the reason why he had to cover up throughout the entire movie was that he was uncircumcised, <laughs> and he's like, well, throughout the entire movie, your character's Jewish, so like that would that would be a problem. But then also, he lost his sponsorship deal. He was the I'm a pepper, you're a pepper guy for Dr Pepper. And they fired him after this movie came out for doing nude scenes in the movie. Oh, <laughs> grow up, <laughs> Dr. Pepper, dude. You're a fucking doctor. Have some fucking maturity. <laughs> but Scott, just speaking of seeing dongs, call back to last week's What Did I Watch? You get to see Flea's cock in the uh, Woodstock 99, and you yeah. understand why he's naked as much as he is. Because if I had a dick like that, woo! <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't catch you with pants on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's those are all my thoughts. 40 years of this movie, I think. Oh, you know what? We can't stop because obviously the biggest thing about this movie is that it won the first ever award for makeups at the Academy Awards yeah. for Rick Baker. Yep. And he said that it took him almost six weeks to just figure out how to make the face stretch out the way that he wanted it to for like a four second shot. And that he was he when he finished it, he was like, "Well, that sucked." And then he never liked the scene until he watched how much the crowd reacted to that specific moment. And then he was like, "All right, I guess I did something." But it, he thought that that scene looked like ass when he was filming when they were filming it. I thought it was cool, Scott. You brought up the Howling, which I think is worth comparing because I think they're both movies that came out at almost the exact same time that both had some really crazy transformation scenes. But I think. The anguish in his transformation scene. Like, I don't think anyone's come close to like capturing how much he seems to make it seem like it hurts to to have your body morph into a wolf. Especially like zero to a hundred. Like yeah. he's just reading a book and just like ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a bit of an overactor in that section in my No, opinion. that's that is literally that scene is me when I'm asleep and I move my leg and give myself a Charlie horse. Like that's me at 3 a.m. giving myself a Charlie horse. God, I'm burning <laughs> I haven't had one in years, but man, when you have a Charlie horse in the middle of the night <laughs> and you're just fucking flopping, thinking it's doing something. <laughs> I have never leaped out of a bed quicker than when I get a Charlie horse in the middle of the night. And then I'm just walking around like family guy, just going like, <sighs> oh, you do that? I thought yeah. everyone made the same noise. It's just, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> No, that's your sex sound, dude. That's all my sounds, dude. Here's a story I've never told on the air. One time there was this girl that I had met on a dating site, and she was over my house, and things were going pretty good, we'll say. And we were making out, and she started oh. making she started making her way downwards where there may have Downtown. been town. You know, it may have been uh, you know, not quite a Costco, but maybe a different place where you can go and buy a lot of uh overstocked food and and whatnot. Oh. But right as she got to about my belly button, I got a Charlie horse and pushed her. <laughs> off me and started walking around the roof going ah, ah. and then she <laughs> excused herself and I never saw I her. think it's important to explain this story <laughs> is that Matt was kissing a girl basically what he just said is Matt was kissing a girl and then she was making her way downtown 
And then he was walking fast as faces passed and he was homebound. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's one of the most embarrassing things. And Brian made I, it better. You're welcome. Oh my god. Well, you know, I'm glad I finally told that. That's been sitting in my yeah. heart for years. Uh, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll never forget the awkwardness of nakedly wandering around my room in front of someone trying to calm down Charlie Horse in my cap. Easy, Nelly. Easy. Well, that's, I, I guess we know where the, char the Charlie Horse is related to the horse, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi from feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Interrupting the podcast for just a minute to talk about this week's sponsor, Liquid Death Mountain Water. Perhaps you've recently been in Whole Foods or 7-Eleven and were startled to see the tall boy cans mixed amongst the water bottles. Just last week, I was at the Mahonan Drive-In and I thought I saw an eight-year-old chugging a beer, but it turns out he was just slamming a can of Liquid Death Mountain Water. Why in a tall boy can? Because the folks at Liquid Death Mountain Water give a shit about the environment. Despite what we were told as kids, plastic actually can't be recycled, but aluminum can. Why call it liquid death? Because this water's going to murder your thirst the way that Jason Voorhees murders through horny camp counselors. Take it from us at Horror Movie Night, the most sober horror podcast on the internet. When we're at a horror convention filled with stumbling down drunks, Scott, Brian, and myself fit in by slamming some liquid death mountain water. Drink it when you're pregnant. Drink it when you're on your morning jog. Hell, even drink and drive with it. Don't be scared. It's just water. Well... It's not just water. It's fucking great water. Liquid Death Mountain Water is available nationwide at 7-Eleven and Whole Foods, but you can order a case today at liquiddeath.com. If you get two cases, you get free shipping on any additional merch. And while you're at it, how about you use the promo code HORRORMOVIE for an additional free koozie two-pack on us. Once again, liquiddeath.com, use the promo code HORRORMOVIE in all caps as one word, and you'll get a free koozie two-pack. And now, 
back to the show. Hey, Matt, what's your double feature, buddy? For my double feature, uh, we're going to go from one problematic individual to another problematic individual because the first time that I ever even heard of this movie was while watching the making of Thriller behind the scenes special. Uh, and I was like, who is this guy? Because they kept showing clips from the movie and apparently Michael Jackson just loved this movie and was like, I want to get turned into a werewolf and then contacted... How about a cat? Yeah, he's like, can you turn me into a wolf? So like the whole team from this movie just reunited a couple years later to make arguably still one of the best music videos of all time. But still, sure. I literally was, as I was finishing this movie, the movie ended at like midnight. So I went to bed. But there was a point where I was like, do I want to pull up the Making a Thriller on YouTube real quick and just knock that out? <laughs> Good point. That would have been pretty fucking dope if you were like, let's stay up for that of all yeah. things. <laughs> well, it certainly wasn't going to be to watch two hours of pterodactyl women from really. <laughs> Else. Yeah, I saved that for the way morning. Way too freaking long. Brian Scott, who wants to go next on a double feature? I'll double feature this with a movie that references this movie, and that's really all that ties it together, which is uh, Beer Fest. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so I might get in trouble for it. I don't know. Oh I, my it's god, still a good dude. movie. Hey, having to say that I haven't watched Beer Fest since I was a kid makes me feel so old. Well, actually, <laughs> in my defense, I think I was like seventeen when it came out. So makes me feel so old. Yeah. When we when we talk about things that live rent free in our brains, and I know that I've said this to Scott before, but him just going very frustrating. frustrating. Oh, okay, <laughs> guys, it's so, it's frustrating. Um, and he's like he's putting yeah. popo up in his face, dude. I have never laughed so. I I feel like I've told this story, but I've never laughed so hard at a movie in my entire life, especially not in a theater. I almost was physically ill from laughing at that fucking moment. <laughs> it was the hands down so funniest thing I ever saw in a movie at <laughs> that time. And uh, a scene that wasn't that funny in the movie, but became funny because my best friend of 15 years, since this movie came out for like two years, if he saw you wearing a hat and he felt comfortable enough with you, he would walk up to you and just smack the brim off your head and go, whoopsie daisy, I accidentally <laughs> knocked your shiny off your head. <laughs> but wait, what's the American werewolf in London? I don't remember, remember that reference. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, what's the... Oh, is it the... Oh, oh, Barry oh that's now? right. He yeah. wakes up yeah. naked. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> not again. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that... <laughs> Man, I'm going to watch Beer Fest tonight. <laughs> Dude, that movie is so good. It still holds up. It's not as good as Super Troopers, but it still holds up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Scott, what's your double feature? I will tell you in one second. I got to tell you my favorite scene that lives rent free in my head in Beer Fest, which is the part when they are trying to get to the Beer Fest. And there's a guy in a weird, like, tuxedo-esque outfit wearing a blue dildo strap-on. And he, he, he's got, he walks by them. And he waves his arms. He goes, I miss you. And I say that to Megan so much. Oh, my God. It was it was basically how we said hi when I was in Ichabod Crane. I mean, so much. But anyway, yeah. So so my double feature for this is Waxwork because it has the best werewolf there transformation and best werewolf in cinema history. So, yep. So for my what did I watch or whatever, um, I'm going to talk about another book. Uh, but this time it's a comic book. So I've been wanting to watch Sweet Tooth on Netflix. And even though I've been told that it really doesn't follow the graphic novel that much, there's you can buy the whole series in just three like $10 trades. So it's like, all right, let me read these and then watch the show. And I finished the first graphic novel. And I'm not sure if either of you have read that book, but that is 
a fucking phenomenal comic book series. <laughs> Short version of it is I always feel uncomfortable now about this stuff because it hits a little too close to home, but uh, it takes place in a future uh, seven years after a viral disease has completely destroyed yeah. most of the population. But anybody who gave birth to a baby during the time of this virus that was killing everybody unexplainably gave birth to hybrid kids. So it'd be like a kid mixed with a deer or like a, a rabbit child or whatever. And these kids don't get sick. So they're all seven-year-old kids, and it's about this one particular kid. And in society, since those kids don't get sick, they're convinced that their blood must have an antidote to the virus that's still lingering around. So people are just hunting and dissecting these children to try to, like, find a cure. And it's just following this one particular kid as he's, like, trying to survive in the wasteland. But it's one of those comics where there's not a lot of dialogue. It's just all told in these, like beautifully drawn pictures but i knocked out the first graphic novel which was literally three storylines so i would say probably like 30 issues of comic books in an Damn. evening like i was just like boom i was just flying through it okay. so like i'm I really to excited to keep because reading because i need this. some comics in my life i've been i've been slacking yeah and you can you can literally get the whole series for like i said like maybe 30 35 bucks so that's amazing yeah and I'm then apparently the, the netflix show is really good comics. too but, uh, Brian, do you got anything? I know it's been a, a crazy everything in the life of Brian right now. Yeah, so I've been trying to watch, like, I don't have a lot of downtime, so I'll just put something on that I've already seen, aside from the Woodstock thing. Um, but I, I did manage to watch, since we last spoke, the Austin Powers franchise. Wow. Uh, and I always had this thing where it was like, the most recent Austin Powers movie I watched is the funniest. And now that I've watched all three, basically back-to-back, -back, I can confidently say that the original Austin Powers is the best Austin Powers because it doesn't do what Austin Powers 2 and 3 did. And it's like, they basically expired. Like, yeah. Austin Powers 2 and 3 are just loaded with fucking references of that time. It was like yeah. capitalizing on what's yeah. hip right now, like sayings and things like that, where it's just like, that's eh, not funny 20 years later. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, no, like, that, that does. That yeah. is just like milk. Yeah, but the first one is just... Uh, to me, timeless. Like I was just, I was just <laughs> cracking up. China. Dude, the one, the one scene, and I couldn't stop laughing for some reason this time. It's just when she's like, "Did you bring protection?" He's like, "Yeah, I had my nine millimeter on me." And she's like, "No, I mean a condom." He's like, "Only sailors use condoms, baby. Not in the '90s." Well, they should, dirty buggers, going from port to port. <laughs> it's such a dumb joke. Dude, it's but but you know what? Again, when we talk about like quotes and movie moments that live rent free in our brains, there's so many from Goldmember that are just like oh, I yeah. don't think anyone else gets the references that you and I will throw at each other when we're just like Andy shat on a turtle. But this one has Doctor Evil and the family therapy. My father would womanize. He would drink. He would make outlandish claims like he invented the question mark. <laughs> It would sometimes accuse chestnuts of being lazy. <laughs> that whole right. speech is fantastic. But, all yeah. right, Scott. All right, I'm done. Send it home. All right, so <laughs> have you guys started watching Schmigadoon yet? No, what is that? No, I don't even know what that is. Oh, my God. Okay, so we're, we're I think, three episodes in. Megan, I think she heard about it on NPR or something. It was not on my radar at all. Cecily Strong, Keenan Michael Key, um, they 
are a couple that are somewhat unhappy. I mean, somewhat happy, somewhat unhappy. And, and they've been in a relationship for almost two years or something like that. They go on a couple's retreat in the woods and they get lost and find themselves in this town called Schmigadoon where it's literally a musical. What I said to Megan when we were watching the first episode was, this is like Tucker and Dale versus evil, but musicals. <sighs> Yeah, it's so it's so good. The music's great. It's got a bunch of it's got a bunch of cool people in it. Um, cool. And Martin Short. So a lot of cool people, nice. and then Martin Short. But like they can't Sounds leave just until a, so, they so find. It's just got a lot of cool people in it. Got it. They can't leave <laughs> the town. They're cursed to stay in the town until they find quote unquote true love. And they're like, but we love each other. This isn't true love. And so they're trying to. That's the whole crux of the show. But it's hilarious. They've aped Oklahoma. Most of it's Oklahoma. Some of it is like, oh man, um, they're all just Rodgers and Hammerstein's movies, uh, gotcha. uh, musicals that they're making fun of, but the music is great and it's so funny. It's so good. Right. I highly recommend it. It's on Apple TV. Speaking of also on Apple TV, our boy Ted Lasso is back as of the time of this recording. We will so. talk about it in a week or two. We got to get further yeah. into the season, okay? Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm into it thus far. He it's gave so one good. speech that brought a tear to my eye, which is all I can ask for out of a Ted Lasso speech, so I'm good. All right, guys, we are going to be back next week, and you know what happens next week? You guys picked the movies starting next week, so we are at your mercy. But I do have to give a shout-out to Scott. Scott threatened. He said, yo, if you guys don't ship up, we'll ship out. Listener submitted month, gone. I never said this. You said I vote this be the last listener submitted month because these picks are atrocious. Yeah, that's, that's vote. That's not, like, I can't be, in, I'm not in charge of everything. Anyway, well, don't I, put that so bullshit on So bouncing off me. of that, I said, let's give them one more chance. And they they stepped up to the plate on that one more chance. Oh, they were yeah, terrified. this is going to be hot fire, guys. It's going to be a really, really <laughs> so, good listener submitted month. And mm -hmm. if you want to know what movies we picked, Bounce on over to the Patreon because it's going to be an extra short Patreon episode, but it's just going to be me letting you know what you can look forward to on Listener Submit It Month. So get ready because it's going to be a good time. And be kind to your mind. I don't know. Everyone has a podcast now. Well, not really. What is true is that, according to Nielsen statistics, 55% of the U.S. population, that's over 155 million people, have listened to a podcast, and 24% of the population, that's 68 million people, listen to podcasts weekly. And these numbers continue to trend upward. What's also true is that over 75% of all podcasts fade away after the first few episodes. It could be for a variety of reasons, lack of strong concept, poor production value, people not realizing how much time needs to be dedicated to it, or simply just not knowing how to get the word out about podcasts. That's where WeKnowPodcasting.com comes in. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have a combined 25 years of podcast experience, and we can help you achieve your podcasting goals. Whether you need help starting a new podcast or want to take your currently active podcast to the next level, we got you. From consultations to concept development, from theme music to editing, promotion, animation, graphics, you name it and we're here to help. Don't become another failed podcast statistic. Let us guide you and help your show become a success. 
Check out the website at weknowpodcasting.com. And even if you're on the fence, don't hesitate to reach out. We're friendly guys, we're passionate about pods, and we're here to help. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi from feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. <laughs>